Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey there, welcome to Warrior U. Join retired Special Forces Officer Bram Connolly as he explores resilience, mental toughness, high-performing habits, and other aspects that are required to develop a warrior mindset. Warrior U, it's the performance edge. Hey everyone, it's Bram Connolly here retired Special Forces Operator and Officer with over 20 years in the Australian Army. Just before we launch into today's show, I want to tell you a little bit about the Warrior U program that forms the basis of the Warrior U website. The program has been designed to help anyone aspiring to join the Australian Defence Force. There's a tailored fitness program based on simple movements that ensures you get from zero to hero in the time frame that you have available. There's lessons on military skills and culture, lessons are self-paced, and there are quizzes to help reinforce the learning. Some of the topics include weapon types, navigation theory, survival, and there's fieldcraft lessons too, just to name a few. There's also a mental resilience block of training. The main aspect of the program though is the access to mentors who've either held positions within the Defence Force recruiting or recruit or officer instructors, and even some Special Forces selection staff. So no matter what you want to do in the ADF, we have a mentor to assist and provide advice. There's a one-off payment of $99 for the complete program Check out the website on www.warrioru.com.au. That's warrior and the letter U. Now, to introduce today's sponsor and then our guest. Just when you thought you didn't need another jacket, along comes the Kill Capture Pathfinder jacket. I could bore you with all of the Spec Ops design features, but what you really want to know are the benefits of owning this piece of tough luxury. Well, You'll walk into any room and immediately dominate it. If you're wearing it for business casual, you'll close the deal. Wearing it to a sporting event, and your team's gonna win. It's light, so you can pack more things in your grab bag, and it's tougher than you are too, which let's face it, that's pretty cool, because not much else is. It comes in a military-grade Pelican case, and has a tracking beacon included, because your nemesis is gonna try and take it from you, and you'll wanna monitor that. It's a jacket of choice for Mad Dog Mattis, the actor, Dan McPherson, Nick Warner, the former head of ASIS, and I've got one too. Go to the site www.killcapture.com and use the coupon code Team Australia, all capitals. You'll love the after-sale service, the quality and the styling of this limited edition special operator jacket. I wear mine with jeans and a t-shirt for the weekend rides of my Norton Commando. Occasionally, with a dress shirt, pants, when I go to tequila bars. I'll be wearing it to this year's book launch too. Pick yourself one up today. That's www.killcapture.com. That's capture with a K. So my guest today is the, (laughs) you get this all the time, (laughs) is the Brad Cooper. Um, I want to say the original because when I started looking back through, you know, your LinkedIn and you've been around a lot longer than the actor Bradley Cooper that's right. Let's make sure that's clear, audience. <laughs> although, although that being said, you haven't been around as long as the Kenneth Cooper, who's probably the grandfather of wellness in the US. 
Absolutely is. Right. Amazing man. And, and you shared names of both of them. So you are the K Bradford Cooper. Yeah, I'm just playing around with different things. Every time I speak in an event, somebody, some knucklehead will come up to me and go, <laughs> oh, man, it's not the Bradley Cooper. I'm like, no, but I'll race him anytime he wants. Oh, I think you'd win that. I've got a feeling you would. I've got a feeling you would win that. Um, we'll talk about triathlon and, and bike riding and everything a bit later. Um, so you're the CEO of US Corporate Wellness and the co-founder of the Catalyst Coaching Institute, amongst a million other things. It's nothing like having an elite high performer. Well, that's what Warrior Use all about: elite um, performance. And then we try and gain something from that to make our lives better than what they were yesterday. Speaking of which, uh, I ran eight. 500 meter efforts this morning one minute nice. yeah one minute rest between sets trying to maintain around one minute 50 each 500 and a lack of foundational fitness some slight inclines a frontal sea breeze pesky people walking their dogs all conspired against me and i found myself doing all manner of things to hold on to that pace self-talk breathing patterns smiling through my grimace <laughs> actually that that actually strangely did make nice me feel job. that did make You're me a lot of the highlights that did make me feel a little bit different for about three seconds extreme visualization of a previous frame of reference of an activity that was fairly violent and life-threatening that truth be told i couldn't probably recreate today or live through and basically is any of that mental toughness or am i just a nut job as far as the strategies that you took <laughs> yeah all of them yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the initial research that we've done, and again, just a little bit of my background, I'm in the midst of a, a PhD studying mental toughness and how do we apply that to the things you and I are talking about? So not just sport, but work and play and all these things. So the, the model that we've come up with initially, and it may continue to be tweaked as we dive into the research further, but as it comes down to three different things, there's thrive, there's prepare, and there's activate. And so the things that you talked about doing this morning would fit into the activate category, the self-talk, the smiling, the activate is what, what, when, when it light shines on you, when the spotlight's on, that's when you kick in the activate, the prepare, you may have done the prepare six weeks ago, six months ago, but you're, you're preparing specifically for that. So it's not general life preparation. It's, it's preparing for that workout, for that race, for that event with the things like self-talk, with the things like smiling. You, you don't just step into a race and start smiling naturally. It's like the most unnatural thing. But if you practice that in your sessions, in your intervals, in your tempo runs, that kind of thing, then it, 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 can, it can play a big role for you. So the prepare is getting ready for those things. And then the thrive is more the foundational well-being. So it's how well did you sleep last night? It's how well you're getting along with the people that are important to you in your life, those kinds of things. Yeah, got it. So the the PhD that you're doing is in mental toughness, and it's a really important. It's really important to let people know that um, you're not talking about the difference between mental toughness from one person to the other. What you're actually looking at is individual mental toughness. That's right, isn't it? You've done your homework. That's excellent. Most of the research on mental toughness is be- what they call between person. So it's saying is yours better than mine, and to that I say. Okay, interesting, but what I really care about is how can we improve the within mental toughness? So how can we help you improve yours tomorrow or tonight? How can we help me improve mine tomorrow or tonight? So it's really looking at that individual component and what can we do to help 
that individual and whatever it is they want to pursue. Not everybody, it's, it's not sport for everybody, but whatever they want to pursue, how can we help them optimize that or, or influence that in a positive way? So you're exactly right. Good job. Yeah, I'm trying to not let my mind race with this. I have a tendency to, to go off and, and think fast and deeply at the same time. And <laughs> and I was the I was the officer in charge of selection for the Australian Special Forces for a year. And so I saw well, I saw people at the at their wits end, at their limit of the limit of physical performance. And and I also saw a thing like a group think where groups can get people through and i know some of that is probably it probably takes the place of mental toughness in some degree they're at the point where they probably need mental toughness to kick in and then the group collaborative effort rises those people apart and above and beyond but then we also have segments within that special forces training where they are alone they are by themselves they are required to do things where they're not capable of doing those things any longer unless they find something deep within themselves and quite often those people who are carried by the group are then able to or not able to perform so are you wondering what what i think is going on there in that case there's nothing better than having a silence from someone studying a phd in this stuff when <laughs> when when you say something along the line <laughs> of group on that one. of group think yeah, you know so so the group think piece that is essentially what you're probably seeing there is that wave is carrying you. The, the, in, in fact, even if you look at things like challenge threat theory, or if you look at, well, let's just talk about challenge threat for a second. Just for your audience, I know you know what it is, but for, for the audience, challenge threat is if you see something as a challenge versus a threat, same you. So no difference in you, your background, your history, your training, et cetera, et cetera. But if you see this as a threat, then your RPE, your rate of perceived, uh, rating of perceived exertion, and even your heart rate, even they can even measure this stuff, goes up versus if you see it as a challenge. So in that group think, one of the things that might be happening there is the group is like, okay, let's do this. We got this. We can do this. Come on, let's go. And so that changes your attitude or that changes your mental insight from, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this, to yeah. Yeah, we got this. This is going to be awesome. And so that's probably, I mean, there are a lot of different theories we could pull into this, but I think that would be one that would certainly apply to the things you're talking about there. Yeah. And and based on my own selection and years gone by before that, I know that I'm the sort of person who I can be at the end of my physical capabilities. And if people start dropping around me, I'm able to find more you know, it's not that I look at this and, and I'm a miserable prick <laughs> and I see people failing. It's just that for some reason, when I see other people failing and I'm still going, I'm able to go longer, further. That fits into a number of different elements as well. But when you're essentially, you probably have a high competitive level. And at that point, you see yourself, in essence, winning, if you will. And it drives you forward. It's just like when you catch up, it's, it's, it's part of the reason why people look at trying to do negative splits in, in races because the rest of the population might be starting to drop off. And if you can net a negative split or even stay consistent, you're catching people you wouldn't normally catch. And the drive that that creates, it's powerful. There's no question about that. Yeah, you are right. I, I am competitive. I've never, ever lost a warm-up in CrossFit. Ever. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I heard you talk to Dr. Yeah. Ian Dunican, um, Sleep for Performance Radio, and in particular, when you were talking about thrive, prepare, and activate, you unpacked a lot of stuff there, and we have different 
a different audience base, I guess, between the two of us. Um, but going over Thrive initially, and this is something that's well and truly in your wheelhouse given the, the wellness um, coaching. So we're talking about nutrition on point, sleep on point, sort of al- alcohol at a, at a minimum, I would assume, and and even things down to your personal relationships, tightening your inner circle, negativity being cut out of your life, all, all of that sort of those sort of elements to then truly thrive. Is that, am I on the right money there? You've you've dialed it in. Very nice. Yeah, all those things have a component. They all play a role. Part of it is the distraction piece. Part of it is the wondering piece, the lack of, oh my gosh, I don't think I ate right. That changes your mindset. But part of it is, frankly, you didn't eat right. And so you're not able to draw on those things as well. So yes, you've dialed that one in very nicely. Yeah, to the point where after I heard your podcast and i'm not sure if it was um something that was actually said or the way it was said or if i just drew my own conclusions but i even i mean i use instagram a lot for marketing and and also to keep in contact with people who i don't even know i guess in most cases but i realized that that was impacting a lot of my thrive time whether it was my sleep or if i get up in the morning and i open it up and i look at negative comments to something that i've said from someone who's an armchair critic you know and i thought this just isn't yeah, so so I've basically quartered my time doing that, and it's all business now. Um, nice job. Yeah, so now this is an interesting piece because I would be – I tell people I'm a triathlete, and then I saw your <laughs> credentials, and I'm, what I do is I, I train triathlon. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, we'll go over what you've done in a moment, but from the prepare perspective, we're, we're really talking about preparing for – for race day or the activity, whether that's half Ironman, Ironman, or even a selection course for special forces or the police tactical unit or whatever, whatever it is that you need to on the job conditions for that thing. Is that right? That is. And and it's not preparing. Obviously it matters to prepare physically, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about functional mental toughness. Functional mental toughness preparation is specific to that event. It's things that play into your mental piece with that. So for example, one of the things I did for Race Across America was I, I had this target and I would just set it in front. I, I train indoors a lot. I'm on a compu trainer in our basement. And part of the reasoning for that was that accident that you heard about. Uh, but I, that's, it's just easy. It's efficient. I can get it done, get back to work, those kinds of things. And I'll take time periods where I'll stare at this target and turn off radio, podcasts, phones out of my reach no TV, no music, nothing. It's just me, the bike, and staring at this dog on target and focusing on that centerpiece, that bullseye. And then when I get distracted, which we all do, myself absolutely included, I, I, I just kind of lose it. I start thinking of something else. I'll just work my, I'll just say, okay, let's bring it back. And I'll just start focusing on outer ring, inner, inner, back to bullseye, and then say focused on that. So that would be an example of a preparation things specific to concentration out on the course. It's so easy in an Ironman, as you know, you get 80 miles into the race and you're like, okay, I'm done. Except you're not because there's still 32 miles left in a marathon in the bike and then a marathon. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things allow me to start working on that focus when I'm tired. I don't do it for five minutes. I don't do it when I'm fresh. I tire myself out and then I go into that phase. So things like that, again, you, you want to be as specific to the event as you possibly can, just like you would physically. You want to take all of the mental components of that race and dial those in and practice those or prepare for those in advance. 
Yeah. And so what are you doing in your mind while you're looking at that bullseye to maintain the focus on that bullseye and not thinking about the the bill you have to pay for Foxtel or the, the thing that was said to you the day before? Or how are you keeping that focus? Is, is there a self-talk piece and therefore you're training the activate phase? Yeah, it's a great question. It, it's literally focusing on that target. Now, when I lose it, I use self-talk to bring myself back in. So the, the focus itself is literally just focused, just looking at it, mind silent, focused on the goal, staying, you know, on that isolated target. But then when I lose it, I have this routine I go through where I think, okay, form, how's your form? Okay, shoulders relaxed, good. How's your breathing? Good. Have you eaten something recently? Good. Okay, now let's focus back on the bullseye. So uh, anytime I get distracted, I go through that process because I want in the middle of that race, I want to be automatic not have to think about it. You just automatically go, okay, I'm out of focus. How's your breathing? Have you eaten? Did you drink something? Are you relaxed? Okay, good. Yeah. So, go. so how does that then translate? Now you're on the bike in the race and there's multiple stimulus going on. So there's a person in front of you. There's, I assume they're not draft legal, so you need to maintain that separation or, or overtake. There's things whizzing past at, you know, 30-something kilometers an hour. There's... There's water bottles around. That. So how do you then, how does it translate to then have that, um, that dot focus now that all that stuff's happening? Yeah, it's, it's the very same thing. And I haven't mastered it yet. I continue to practice it. But if you can be that focused when you're out there on the race and not be wasting mental energy on, oh my gosh, what's that guy doing? Oh no, he passed me. Who cares? It's 112 miles and then you got a marathon waiting at the end. Let him go. If he really wants to mess around like that, then, then let it happen. So yeah, it literally, and again, haven't mastered it, continue to work on it, is relax, stay focused, where are we going? Yeah, we, we, talked, um, we talked a second ago about me being competitive. And, and one of those, one of the things I had to train for, for the half Ironman I did in 2014, it was the first one I, I had completed, was I had to train to be overtaken on the bike. I'm not a I'm not a particularly strong rider, but I'm an, I'm an I'm an above average runner, and so mm-hmm. the so for me I really had to train I guess to let people pass me and not chase them it's down. It's a great example. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. Exactly, mm. you're right on. Mm. And I think that that translates to to guys doing a, a selection when they're when they're doing a, a thirty kilometer or or or, or further pack march and you've got people passing you and then you get this self-doubt that comes into your into your head about if i don't meet the time if i don't meet the cutoff if if this doesn't happen what are they thinking of me all those sorts right. sort of things and and i think that yeah i think there's a lot of self sort of self-visualization and understanding understanding that you don't need to be winning to be passing especially at that point in the race right yeah so yeah. so activate and activate for me, it's not a simple trilogy of thrive, prepare, and then roll in to activate. You've got thrive, which we talked about, and everything that's required for you to thrive as, a, as an individual or a person. Um, you've then got prepare, which is not just race prepare, but prepare from a, a mental toughness perspective. And then I would assume that exactly. activate, yeah, I assume that activate is wrapped up in that because now you need to be able to trigger. You need to be able to trigger these things and, and things that you have trained to do, whether that be the smiling through the grimace or whether that be the, uh, the focus or self-talk, uh, which we'll get into in a minute, which, which for me is a big deal, but we'll, we'll talk about that. 
Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. You, you, you've prepared for these things. Now we're actually doing them. There's a big difference. We probably the more you have invested in the prepare phase, the more likely you are to actually use it in that activate. But it's it's things like self-talk. It's things like the smiling. It's so yeah. It's, it's when the spotlight's on. What are you doing in that moment? And then how are you working that through in your head? Builds off of that. Okay. Yes. Got it. So the activate piece as well that makes the mental toughness component to your prepare kick in, we think. You choose to kick it in. That's one of the interesting things about functional mental toughness is it doesn't matter unless you care. And I don't mean just care because you want to have a conversation piece. I don't mean care about, you know, it's New Year's resolutions time. I want to have something to talk to my family about, so I'm going to make up a resolution. But I'm pretty much fine if it doesn't happen. If you don't really care, like deep, then there's no mental toughness. It doesn't come to the play. It doesn't come to play. It doesn't need to be there. So that's the other piece is if you don't functional mental toughness, isn't something you just sit back and go, okay, let's do this thing. It's okay. I really care. What am I going to kick in here? Are you researching how to make someone care? And I know that sounds ridiculous, but there's plenty of people who say flippant things to then pursue and they want to care, but mentally they're not able to to do that. They're not able to care enough without some sort of mental support. Yeah, we're not, that's not part of the research. It's a very succinct, specific thing that we're looking at. But I, I just did a keynote out in uh, Ohio last week. And that was one of the things I emphasized. This was not a sports group. This was a human resources organizational management type group. And what I tried to emphasize to them is this doesn't matter unless you really care. It never kicks in. If you, if you just want to have a conversation, and a lot of people go through life and they never need mental toughness. Wow. Is that right? I can't imagine that. I just can't imagine it's that. Yeah. It, it's sad. It, it means there's nothing in your life that's out. Because keep in mind, mental toughness is not the end all be all. It's not the magic pill. It is the extra 2%. If you haven't put in the work and you haven't put in the, you know, if you haven't prepared physically for the other, you know, 98%, it's not going to help you. But if you and I are exactly equal, we've prepared the same, we have the same history, the same everything else and you do the mental toughness piece, you're going to beat me. Yeah. It was the other Brad Cooper that found the magic pill for mental toughness, wasn't it, in that movie? Uh, I think he might have. I think there was a movie about it somewhere. (laughs) So I heard you say once before that there's only three people that care where you finish a race. I disagree with you on this point. This (laughs) This is the only point I disagree with you on, right? It's the person behind you, the person in front of you, and yourself. Now, I think it's a really valid point, but... When you're, when you're an athlete of, you know, average proportions and you're training week in, week out with squads and things like that, there's a lot of people watching that are, that are measuring themselves and their performances against you. I know why you said it, but I don't agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a fun conversation and it was partially in jest, but it's, it's really not. I think when you see, have the perspective that, so I've, I've got a group of folks I train with as well and they want me to do well. They're watching me. They're comparing themselves to me as I am to them. But when it comes down to it, they're my buddies. I mean, they're, they're, they're there regardless. And if I finish seventh instead of second, it's not like they're going to stop training with me or, you know, send me hate mail or something like that. We're, we're training partners. We get out there together. So it, what the, the point I was trying to make, and, and I know you get this, but just to kind of reemphasize it is, we build this stuff up too much. I mean, people, seriously, we're not professional athletes. We're not making a living doing this. 
we're doing it because it's our hobby. And when we forget that, a lot of things get out of perspective and we make poor choices in the rest of our lives because we think we're some hotshot when we're really not. We're just out there doing a hobby. It's kind of cool. We want to get on the podium or we want to win or we want to qualify for Kona. That's great. That's neat to have goals. That's important. But let's get serious. We're not that important. What what time did you finish Kona in, mate? I haven't figured out Kona yet. My best Ironman is a 9.34. So not <laughs> terrible, but I, I can go faster. I'm 52 now and I still think I can go faster. I've done it four times, yep. Four times. That's I mean, that's bordering on being, you know, an age group professional athlete. <laughs> sub 10 is sub 10. I, I, I need to figure it out though. I, I, my goal is when this PhD is done, I hope to go get a chance to go back to Kona if the body cooperates and see if I can hit that podium. Cause that's, that's been what I've been shooting for. And I just keep, keep blowing up. So we're going to get into the next one, hopefully using some of this stuff. Sub, sub 10 is impressive. Um, I've got a friend in Dubai who, who's, um, who's done a few sub 10s now. Um, and he's, yeah, he's definitely, uh, above your average athlete and, and, and in his fifties. Now that's an interesting topic in itself. Um, I loved what you said about, and just to let the audience in on what we're talking about is people who say, Oh, I'm over 50. So I'm slow now. (laughs) And, and the point you made is most of our friends, I have got a couple of friends who are Olympic athletes, but most of most of my friends have never raced, trained, prepared at the Olympic level, so their degradation of performance is, you know, very, very, very low compared to someone who's trained at that level and has maintained that level. Therefore, they are noticeably slower because they've already been at the optimal level. Have I made a fist of that? <laughs> no, no, no. It's exactly right. What my my point was. So again, I'm, I'm 52. A lot of my buddies are late 40s, early 50s, mid 50s. And I continually hear, and it drives me psychotic. And they know this now. So now I think they say it just to bug me. But they'll say, <laughs> well, at, at my age, blah, 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 blah. Well, at my age, at our age, at, at this age. And I'm like, dude, you're an idiot. Like, seriously, stop blaming age. Age is a factor, but it's not a cliff. You don't suddenly fall off a cliff when you turn 50. Yes, your VO2 max drops down. Yes, your balance might not quite be at the same level. Your testosterone may not be at quite the same level. But those are small percentages on an annual basis. And my guess is you've never optimized your nutrition, your sleep, your weight training, your workout sessions, the way you've approached a race, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, we're using this one thing, this age, which is a legitimate thing. But it's a legitimate one to two percent a year. It's not a seventeen percent. It's not a twenty-eight percent. So that's my, and and I hope one of the things I'd like to do when this PhD is over is is really start launching some sort of a a what if project, if you will, where we we say, well, what if you didn't blame age, you just dealt with age. So using the Ironman example, one of the things, and again, the body has to cooperate. Injuries can affect things, but if it if it cooperates. To go back and and pursue Ironman again, and, and don't use age as an excuse. Just say, okay, my swim I should be able to hold pretty constant with previous. My bike should be able to hold pretty constant, maybe just off a touch. My run I've had one decent run at an Ironman. I, I ran a three sixteen one year, coming off the bike, but that's that was a one time thing. So if I could even be slightly slow on the bike, slightly slow on the swim. And then run even a 320, 325, I should be right in that PR range 
five years older, seven years older. So I don't know if it'll happen, but in theory, the concept makes sense that we stop blaming age and we simply say, okay, I'm not quite as strong. So what does that mean as far as my training? I'm not quite as whatever. VO2 max isn't quite there. So what does that mean? So but, I, I don't know if that but, makes sense. But what not, you're but saying is... Addressing it instead of blaming yeah, it. Yeah, but what you're actually saying is, well, you've never been at your optimum. So if yeah. you're at your optimum now, it'll be better than 10 year ago you. If I can optimize now, it could be pretty darn close to 10 year ago me. I was pretty serious 10 years ago, so there may be a little stretch there, but but not too far off because there are other places I can make up for mistakes that I made 10 years ago. Right, and we're looking at you as an individual now who's doing you know, a sub 10 Ironman, whereas when I'm talking to people who are you know, weekend you know, riders and maybe run once or twice a week, they 100% are not putting in the work. So they, oh, they are easily they – could potential. They could easily be better than they were when they were 20. Ah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, which makes me think this – this, this, I'm hoping that you name something in your PhD study, um, you know, the Bram effect. Um, <laughs> so being unfit, right, being unfit, and, I, and I've gone from 2014 doing a, a five-hour half to, to really struggling in an Olympic last year. Interestingly, the Olympic race last year <laughs> was probably the hardest mental thing I've ever had to do as opposed to the half, right? But being unfit surely gives you a chance to focus on your mental toughness and reinforce that as a capability while getting fitter in the process and then and yep. therefore not needing to call on the mental toughness aspect sooner in a race. So just because you're unfit now at the start of the season. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. We probably should look at well, that's good. Good, good. You're unfit. That means your mental toughness is going to be exercised faster and therefore you won't have to call on it sooner when you start to become fitter. So that would fit nicely into the prepare phase. So you're preparing some of those things so you can draw on them when you do activate that you're talking about there. So yeah, yeah. And, and we've all experienced that. The, the story of the, the bike wreck I was in six weeks before Race Across America broke eight bones couldn't train like I wanted to. And so in that race, that's why I noticed so many mental things because I was up and down constantly because I was drawing more on that than I normally would have. If you're able to depend on the physical side, my son ran his first marathon two years ago uh, when he was, I guess, 18. And I really wanted to be on the course with him. And I had a, I broke my foot and didn't heal up. So I only had three weeks of training going in that marathon. The first half, you know, it's just like, okay, I'm fine for the first half. And then I started to fade. I couldn't get in under three hours. I ended up running a 303 or something like that. On th- but, but on three weeks of training, that's not terrible. It took a lot of that mental piece to just keep moving because I didn't have the physical to draw on. So those components that you're talking about, yeah, it's a good opportunity to prepare for other things. As long as you've got that mindset. As long as you've got that mindset. That's that challenge set again. When I looked at that marathon with Josh – 
I was kind of excited about seeing how fast can I run a marathon on three weeks of running after taking two months off or two and a half months off to heal. So yeah, it was a challenge. It wasn't a, uh-oh. Now I did have some uh-oh moments as the race continued, but yeah, it's exactly right. That mindset's critical. As, as you go through the research, um, do you think that you'll find that mental toughness is a, is a perishable skill or, or if you build mental toughness, is that then benchmarked and only ever increased upon? Um, of course, the other side of that is as you're getting weaker or more unfit, you'll have to call on it sooner. But once you've got a bar set somewhere for mental toughness, is, does it stay at that, that point? It's a good question. I think if you tear up the three, the trilogy that we talked about, it'll give you your answer. So the Thrive piece, I can at any point stop sleeping as well. I can stop building into relationships with my family and my wife, my kids, people that are important to me. I can, you know, drop drop the ball on the spiritual side, the, the faith building. I can, you know, if, if you give up on the thrive, well, instantly you've depleted your, your potential, this functional mental toughness concept. The concept that we haven't fully developed, but it, it, it may be helpful to your audience, is the difference between functional mental toughness and capacity mental toughness. So you hear phrases like resilience thrown around all the time. And if you look at the real original meaning of resilience, that was what you brought to the table. And we talked about this with Dr. Denikin is, is it's, it's not something you develop right now. It's something you brought with you. You had a tough childhood. You had a bad boss. You had a horrible divorce. So you build this resilience that probably feeds into your capacity mental toughness, but your capacity mental toughness and your functional mental toughness, two unrelated things. You, you might have this great capacity, and that's what you're talking about, where you, over time, you build this thing up, you, you get pretty tough. But on, on any day, any week, any month, any year, you can deplete that thing by not taking advantage of the functional mental toughness piece that we've been talking about here that comes through drive, prepare, and activate. So those are the keys. And so in that context of functional versus capacity mental toughness, there's no question it can deplete any anytime you don't don't keep taking care of it yeah i agree i think it's one of those things you need to exercise pretty regularly um and i agree with what you're saying about resilience and i don't know why it's become such a you know a a buzzword for for young academics to try and change it and 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 also interplay with mental toughness because it is a completely different thing um a friend of mine did a did a phd on um, the generational resilience in Holocaust survivors. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the fact that um, two generations later, they, they are more resilient than the, pre- than the previous generations and so on and so forth. And so there's some sort of a genetic, there's some sort of a genetic disposition of resilience for sure. Um, it's not just something that, it, it's not just something that you develop as a child. Um, it is something that you are born with in some regards and then can perhaps epigenetically turn on and off. But it doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter if you're not resilient, if you've built mental toughness. You, you can certainly build it regardless of what your starting point is. For example, if you've got a capacity mental toughness of 95 and I only have one of 70, but I dial in every single aspect of the functional mental toughness piece, I might be able to function almost at my capacity. So maybe 68 and you're a lazy bum and you're not taking advantage of your opportunities and so you're functioning at 51, well, I'm going to take you to town every time. Your potential is better. It's like the athlete that has this great VO2 max but doesn't get out and do the work. 
Same concept here. Is it the more you research, the less you know? Oh my gosh, totally. I, I thought I knew quite a bit two years ago before I started this thing, and I realize I'm completely clueless now after studying this stuff for two years. Let's just let's just put something to bed straight away. The whole grit thing. <laughs> um, I, I, if you read Angela's book. You told, or watch you, her TED Talk. You told me to go yeah, and research that. It's, it's valuable stuff. I think there's a lot to it. It's kind of fun yeah. to read. A lot of researchers don't think it's a real thing. That's not my call. But in, in the context of mental toughness, grit is the next thing. So resilience is what you bring. Mental toughness is right now. Grit is this staying focused on the long-term perspective and, and the goals that you set out there in the future. So in my mind, grit is really interesting, but it doesn't apply to this second Resilience is really interesting, but it's already been determined. Mental toughness, that's what we can do right now in this moment with, with whatever we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I, I did a lot of research before we talked about grit and just and on, honestly just started um, talking myself into circles and not understanding, you know, some of it was focused around the, the thing that happens after your mental toughness is gone and now now it's a just a survival instinct and then other stuff was talking about being able to focus on goals five, ten years away, um, and I stuck with approach. Yeah, and I and I to be to be honest, I, I don't find it as uh, as interesting a concept for for guys in the military, guys and girls, obviously in the military, or sure. for people going to special forces, or and we'll talk about that in a, in a little moment because I've got some interesting stuff to share with you. But first of all, I was talking to a uh, Dr. Lee's Notbart. Um, she's from University of Western Australia, and she posits that people with a negative bias tend to be less resilient if they if they see things from a perspective of the glass is half empty, then they then they take hits harder. And I just wonder if you if you think that people with a negative bias will be will be harder to activate their their mental toughness, or if there's any sort of study that you'll do around people with a negative bias as opposed to a positive bias. Yeah, that's a good question. We we have not, and we don't have plans to. But conceptually, it, you know, let's just talk it through and see what we can come up with here. So, if you come in with a negative bias, you're going to assume that you're going to fail. When you assume that you're going to fail, why would you care? Why would you put a full effort in? Because it's already in your head been predetermined. So at that point, hypothetically, there's no reason to sleep well because it's not going to work out anyway. There's no reason to make sure you're eating well because it's not going to happen. There's no reason to practice these things you're going to use to activate because who cares? I'm going to lose anyway. So I don't think you access your functional mental toughness if that's what you come in with. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And, and I, I, I do, I, I completely agree with that, that you, and I know you're not going to study how to change someone from being negative to positive, but I do think that if someone's listening to this and, that, and they know that there are, a reasonably negative person or they come at things from from a negative standpoint then, then really they need to work on that self-talk and change it change their yeah, mood and, and sometimes i think you're right self-talk could be very helpful there but i i think also if they realize that if they're listening to this and say you know what i am kind of like that why don't i give this a try let me see what happens to in fact let's just take something simple our current study we're looking at sleep and mental toughness and how they overlap each other let's just take that person that's negative and let's let's get another 30 to 60 minutes of sleep a night and see what happens to that negativity because the studies on that those are pretty powerful and so now if you change your 
your mindset that the grumpiness that kicks in when you're not sleeping well, well, then what happens to our ability to act? So, so yes, it's this, it's this kind of building process that spins off of each other. And so yeah, there's abs- there's potential for everybody. Everybody's got potential, but you got to start with one thing. One of the things I love to say is, is we're always talking about becoming our best self. And I like to remind people this, the, the journey towards our best self begins with our better self. And that takes a lot of the pressure off because our best self, a lot of people hear that and they think, well, I'll never get there. Well, I can't, I can't be a best self. I, I don't even know what that is. Well, why don't we just talk about better self? Because we all know what better self is. That's one step away from where I am right now. And so the same concept with that person that comes in. Yeah, I am kind of negative. Okay, well, let's put that over to the side here. Let's get an extra 30 minutes of sleep and let's see if you're a little bit better tomorrow. Yeah, no, Max, that makes sense. So small incremental goals. So this is this is where the, your wellness background well and truly kicks in. So it's just change small small habits, change small aspects of your life so that it's not overwhelming and just be a little bit better than what you were yesterday. I know it's such a throwaway thing to say these days, but it's true. Mm. Yeah, everybody's different. So some people, I love the massive goal. I love the monstrous killer, you know, what do they call a hairy audacious goal? But the way you get there is one step at a time. Other people, they don't want the big massive goal because that's too scary or they failed and they don't want to face with that face that again. For me, it's what gets me up in the morning. But the steps taken for either one of those people are the same thing. It's, okay, last week we did eight by 400s on the treadmill at 12 miles an hour. This week, let's do eight by 12 or eight by 400s on the treadmill at 12 miles an hour and one degree incline. It's just that one little bit harder. Yeah, that consistent application, that builds champions. Yeah. So self-talk, I can, I can name hundreds of times where I've either done it personally or seen people do it where sometimes humor, sometimes it's um, just positivity, completely changes the the present situation so for instance i was with the royal marines in 1997 and you know they they would do a thing called a non-emotional where you'd have your your helmet it'd be full of water it'd be two or three degrees out in dartmoor and then they'd say right put your helmet on do a non-emo sort of thing you'd, you'd put this helmet on cold i mean freezing cold waters dripping down your back and you're just looking at the group smiling and then everyone's rolling around laughing that that is a that is an element of self-talk in some regards and then there's other things like faking it almost manipulating yourself as you as you as you're getting into a vehicle in the morning maybe you're a fly-in fly-out worker going to a mine site or something you get into a vehicle in the morning and you're like yeah hey how good is this oh i can't wait to get there and start the day this is gonna be awesome and it's just that language it's though it's those it's that terminology those words even though you don't mean it you're manipulating yourself and then it's hard to take a step back and be negative yes your words have so much power and you're using them in such a powerful way in the way you're describing that, that you, you know, they'll fake it till you make it. You're, you're saying state it till you make it. And that's, that's powerful. I, I think, you know, in, in terms of the research, if you look at things like association versus dissociation, that's some of what you're talking about here. So is, uh, let's say you're going out to do a tempo run. Um, and in fact, I'm, just last two, last Thursday, I did a tempo run, and I tried some of this stuff while I was out there. So, 10k tempo run, um, trying to hold right around 615 per mile for this thing solo, 
just out of my own. And what I played with was I tried to do association, which is concentrating on things like, how's my form? Am I relaxed? What's my cadence? How are we doing here? So I'm associate, I'm focused in on what's actually happening. And then four miles into that 10 K I flipped on my little iPod and I dissociated the last two miles. So that was mixing and matching for some people. They do much better with the dissociation, other people, association. And for me, I like to mix and match. So that would be an example of, of what you're talking about there. Yeah, interesting. And I, I think to take it back into a, a military perspective, we were, we were being chased down a, a valley in Afghanistan for a few days, uh, my platoon and I, and we'd run out of ammunition, run out of water, radio batteries were dead, helicopters weren't coming. And then on, the, I think it was like the fourth morning, where we got ambushed again. And my signaler yells out, oh, awesome, they're shooting at us again. And everyone just started laughing and, and it, was, it was easier to get through that, that, that next 20, 30 Absolutely. minutes. Yeah, which, which made me think that if you're on selection for, for special forces in particular, and it's a tough, you know, it can be a tough four weeks and, and longer in some cases, you know, there might be an activity that comes up and, and you're arriving at that activity. It might be a trailer with only one wheel and, and they're looking at the group and they're like, right, you're going to push that to the top of the hill. And then being able to buoy those people around you by saying something along the lines of, oh, this is going to be great. How good is this going to be? You know, under your breath or something like that. E- even just those little things. If you can continue to do that, you're now, I think that's at the point where you're now activating, you're either activating that mental toughness or, or you're doing something else altogether. Maybe... Maybe, maybe even calling on that 10%, that extra 10% that you've got that you're not using. Well, it may not even be mental tough step, but you may be supporting other people through that connection with them, that, that very first concept we talked about where the, the group can build up the, the, you know, one person in the group can build up the rest of the group and move forward. You see that in sport all the time, and I'm certain you see that in the military even more often because it's life or death. It's not just winning the game or not. Yeah, it's interesting. We we use from a from a special forces perspective, we we try and replicate combat conditions um, so that you've done it all before, you've been there and done it before, as close as you can. And in some cases, that means the combat that we've done previously, anyway. Same as doing, you've done an Ironman, so you've replicated those conditions perfectly. Not only have you replicated them, you've done it, so you're now doing it again. And and what we do, not to be overwhelmed by what is. I guess classified as the fog of war is we use checklists and, and actions action on tasks that then triage the stimulus that comes in because it's the stimulus that can be overwhelming. And I think sometimes it's the stimulus that can stop you from kicking in the mental toughness. The stimulus can take away the ability to then draw on that, that next aspect of your mental toughness. Yeah. For your half Ironman, one of my favorite training sessions for half Ironman, and, and you may want to try this sometime if you put it back on your list, is you you sign up for a half marathon and then you show up to the race about three and a half hours early with your bike on the trainer. I've heard you and say you this. Set, you, you park in the parking lot, oh, okay. you set up your bike, you ride for two and a half, three hours, and then five minutes before the mar- half marathon starts, you throw the bike in, you change into your shorts, you get your running shoes on, and you go and you run a race. So it's not just a brick workout. It's not just this, oh, yeah, let's do a bike run. No, 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 no. This is a race after you've been biking for three hours. This is the real deal. So I think, again, that's my favorite prep session for something like that. You can't do it for an Ironman. It's too too long. But for a half Ironman, dude, if you can throw that in three weeks before your race, 
you will be so ready. Um, I heard you say that to Ian. Brad, did you win that? Did you win that half? That that half marathon? No, I think I was third. I I did pretty well. <laughs> what time? What time did you post for that? I, it's it's been a while. It was fast. I, I, if I'm running well, I'm again, dude. I'm old, but I was probably one twenty, one twenty one, something like that. Can't use age as an excuse, mate. I know. Tell you what. <laughs> um, talk to me about Aerobar Aerobar Edge. Yeah, so I'm out uh, out in Kona competing. Um, riding down the Queen K and I look around me and we're all sitting up. Well, everybody knows, like literally everybody knows that this, the single thing you can do to go faster without having to ride harder is getting the stinking arrow bars, dude. But even though we all know that we're not doing it, we don't train enough that way, et cetera. So I went back from the race that year thinking there's gotta be some way that we can help people with this, you know, get them, get them tuned in. So got with an engineer, built this thing called the arrow bar edge it is, I think, just about ready to ship. We actually, this is kind of the bad news of it. We we won one of the most uh, innovative products of the year from Triathlete Magazine last year, but we weren't ready to ship because we had some battery issues. So I think we've about tuned those up, but uh, stay tuned. Pretty exciting stuff. And is this something that you clip on to a, to a bike or is it something that you, yeah. so you, they yeah. clip on bars? Yeah, it's just you, you put the pad under your, so you're on your arrow bars, you got that little pad, you just take that up, pop it under there, put it in the right spot for wherever your arm is, and then the computer is inside the arrowhead, and it overlaps with whatever whatever you use. So if you use a Garmin, you can download your Strava data, and you can see when you're an arrow, what's your speed, what's your power, what's your uh, cadence, what's your... And it's amazing early on to see the difference of, especially early in the season, everybody thinks they're an arrow. They're not. Yeah. They're just not. Or everybody thinks their power's the same. It's not. So it's it's pretty exciting. It's a great tool, and we just got to get the fine-tuning done. Oh, sign me up. I'll definitely have a crack at that. I love data. Data is data is the thing that – I mean, honestly, and I don't know what you would make of this, but today what got me through the seventh 500 meter was knowing that I was going to take a screenshot <laughs> of of those efforts and if it didn't look like the other you know six before them then everyone yep. knows i've slackened off i mean that's almost that's self-talk of some type it, it, it's a form and it's actually other support but a similar concept of saying i know i've got to report into my coach i've got to report into my son or my buddy or or whatever or it's going to show up on strava um there, there is definitely something to that yeah i've just got an idea for a business um there you go i've got a I've got an S-Works Venge power meter. It's a 2014. It's an old, it's an old bike, but I love it. It's a uh, you know full power meter, all, all the Wahoo stuff on it. Um, and I have just put clip-on bars for that to race, and I get in them every now and again, but you can't change the gears down there. You need to come back up and all this sort of <laughs> garbage. Should I buy an aero bike? Absolutely, yes. It fits completely different. Okay. Uh, Can you- and I don't sell bikes for a living, but I'll tell you, there's – no question. When we did Race Across America, people were like, oh my gosh, dude, you were on a bike for seven days straight riding 3,000 miles with your teammate. That, like, you had to have the, your butt must have been so sore. You must have had a sore back. I was so comfortable on that bike. Yeah. It was practically like sitting in my recliner. I, I had no problem. I was tired, but there was no issue there. And had I strapped on aero bars onto a road bike, it's just a completely different fit. So, yeah, if you're debating about that one, 
go get your aero bike. And I, actually, uh, you can shoot me an email, the blue, the blue bike, the guys that make blue, they are awesome. That's what I used at Ram, and I can connect you with them, and we'll get you set up with them. My last Ironman sort of question, I know we've covered a lot of, a lot of stuff about your PhD, but obviously the Ironman stuff means a bit to me as well. So sure. what do you think? Ben, ben Greenfield, I'm not sure if you're aware of Ben Greenfield. Sure. I know yeah. Ben, yeah. yeah. You actually know Ben? Yeah. Uh, I saw him out at Kona. We raced the same year. We saw each other after the race uh, with our families, and we were doing, you know, he was out on his paddleboard, and we were about to rent one. So I went for that hook, line, and sinker then. You know Ben Greenfield? Um, so high-intensity interval training, for Ironman rather than the old school long, slow distance. What's your, what's your thoughts? Um, but he's a freak, right? Okay. So let me clarify your definition. Yeah. The, the high intensity, are you saying we can, is the claim we can race as well on eight hours of training as long as it's super high intensity as we can on 20 hours now, does the 20 hours also involve high intensity or are we taking the other extreme and saying the 20 hours is just kind of getting out there and kind of lackadaisical, putting in the time, but no quality, which we, are we, are we talking about 20 hours with quality or are we just talking about 20 hours? Yeah, it's an interesting, it, that is interesting because a lot of age group triathletes that I see that do the, the 20 hours plus for Ironman are definitely not doing anything that's high intensity interval training. They think they might be by doing some you know, um, Faso 800s or something like that, but they're, they're not doing it. They're not throwing up at the end of that. They're not doing things that are make that are earth shattering for the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, it's an Ironman. You've got to put in the time. If you want to compete, if you just want to complete, that's the difference. Are we a competitor or a completer? Mm. If we're just completing, yeah, we can get by on whatever. And the high intensity, if you're only going to spend eight hours, the high intensity is obviously better than eight hours of low intensity. But if you're saying if you take person A and you train high intensity for eight hours and you take person A, you know, clone of person A, and they train 20 hours with eight hours of quality, of course the person that puts the 20 hours is going to crush the person that did eight. Yeah, we get through it. It's better than doing eight lazy hours. But no, that doesn't pan out there's nothing and, and and i think who was it the um the crossfit endurance folks i mean they made a good effort of saying yeah we can do a crossfit training and no it's a swim bike race it's a swim bike run race if you don't swim bike and run you're not going to do well you might be fit you might do well in a sprint distance but if we're racing for 10 hours and it's swim bike and run we need to do a lot of swim bike and run yeah it's interesting how this and, and- and I did have a crack at this. I did try and do high-intensity interval training for a year and then, and then do a half and uh, was way below the, the performance that I, that I w- would have posted otherwise. And what, right. suffered, what suffered in particular was, um, was the swimming. Um, mm. Yeah, the 25-metre uh, efforts in the pool just did not translate to, to the requirement to, to swim you know, two kilometres um, and it was a heart rate issue, and then that translated to the bike. And it's all—it's well and good to be able to, you know, my, my power, my functional threshold power was greater, but it just didn't translate when trying to get off the bike then and run. So it all had a—it had a cascading effect where it just all fell right. apart. Whereas if I'd just—if right. I'd done two or three hours of high intensity interval training per two weeks plus the long slow distance. 
uh, volume training, I would have been a lot better off. But I was interested to hear your take on it because I know Ben Greenfield, uh, he does a lot of high-intensity interval training to prepare for things. But I, I do also think that, that, that Ben probably doesn't outline what that involves with the long, slow-distance stuff at the back end of it. I know he's doing more than just a few you know, fartlek sessions. Well, I'm a big fan of the tempo stuff. That's kind of my style is let's, let's get in not quite race pace maybe, or maybe it is because it's Ironman, and, and just getting used to that intensity for long periods, you know, kind of like the, what we talked about with the half marathon and going out and riding first and then popping into the race, those kinds of things. I love living on that. And I think Ironman training translates for me for special forces selection, because there's a lot of, although you need some degree of physical uh, toughness, so strength for special forces, you also need that, you need bursts or you need to be able to train like a 400 meter runner, but you also need to be able to hold a heart rate about 140 all day if required, because that's what happens when you put a pack on your back and you start walking. There's a, there's a point where, especially if it's hot, there's a point where your heart rate and your effort, they, they diverge, they, they separate and you need to be able to keep that heart rate at at 140 or, or, you know, or thereabouts um, and just maintain it. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, anything else you want to share with us, Brad, about, uh, you know, where can people find you? You know, anything you want to share with the audience in regards to being mentally tougher? Sure. Yeah, Twitter's probably the best route. If you like following this kind of research, I, I generally use Twitter for that purpose to, to post articles and research studies about human performance and how to optimize that. So Twitter is at Catalyst, the number two, Thrive. So C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, the number two, and then thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E. So that's a good place to stay stay caught up on the stuff that I'm watching. Um, email, if people have questions, bcooper at uscorporatewellness.com. And then uh, we've got a podcast actually that, that we have for wellness coaches, so very different audience than yours, but people that are either current health and wellness coaches or, or want to go that route, thinking about going that route and have some pretty sweet interviews teed up here for the next few weeks. Uh, that is the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. So uh, enjoyed being on here. Great questions. You did your homework, man. That's uh, that's a rarity of some of these podcast folks, and you did a great job. So thanks for inviting me, and anything else you, you want to run through, I'm happy to. Hoping I'll see you at Kona. We'll see what Sounds happens. Great. I'm hoping in 2021. That's the goal. Yeah. No, no worries. Hey, thanks very much, Brad. I really appreciate you coming on. And and also the podcast you did with Ian Dunican, you know, that was that was quality. Um, I know yeah, that you had him doing it. Yeah, you had him rattled. He was so into what you were saying, and and I could I could hear him taking notes as he was doing it. And I rang him that day and said, "Jesus, man, what's going on? Those huge gaps." And he's like, "Man, I just didn't know. I was just saying stuff that was like making sense." And and then uh, so that's why I made sure I did my my homework. Great, great. Hey, thanks so much for your time. Obstacle racing is all the rage across the world, and here in Australia, we are sport for quality. If you want to test your physical and mental toughness, then get outside and compete in True Grit. It's a military-inspired obstacle course. I know it's legit because I served in Special Forces with a co-founder and managing director, Adam McNamee. And to celebrate our bromance, the good dudes at True Grit have created a discount code for listeners of this podcast. Use the code WARRIORU2019, that's WARRIORU2019, for 10% off every one of the 2019 events. And hopefully, 
I'll see you there wearing one of my Warrior U t-shirts. Catch you, gang. Bye. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.